traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. It's a well-known fact now that Rod Serling was using the Twilight Zone to tell stories that he was unable to tell in a straight, dramatic presentation. The science fiction and fantasy elements were helping hide in plain sight the messages that he really wanted to get across. I think if that's the case then the story that we're going to be discussing tonight is maybe one of the less hidden messages, it pretty much lays its message right out there for everyone to see. There is of course that element of fantasy there, the fantastic. But the truth of the situation is already laid out there in quite excruciating detail before that really comes into play. But is it successful? That's the main thing. So let's find out in tonight's episode of The Twilight Zone, The Fever. Mr. and Mrs. Franklin Gibbs. Three days and two nights, all expenses paid at a Las Vegas hotel. One by virtue of Mrs. Gibbs's knack with a phrase. But unbeknownst to either Mr. or Mrs. Gibbs is the fact that there's a prize in their package neither expected nor bargained for. In just a moment, one of them will succumb to an illness worse than any virus can produce. A most inoperative, deadly, life-shattering affliction known as the fever. First broadcast on the 29th of January 1960, written by Rod Serling and directed by Robert Flory. Now the idea for the episode actually went back to the beginning of the Twilight Zone, the signing of the contracts and the sale of the television show. Rod Serling and Carol Serling actually went to Las Vegas to celebrate that. And Rod Serling said, I got this idea about 3 o'clock in the morning in Las Vegas, gambling. I'd been about 60 minutes battling a one-armed bandit and I got a feeling of what an extension of this kind of weakness might be to somebody a little different than I am, making an assumption of course that there is someone weaker than I in this nefarious area. So our couple, Mr and Mrs Gibbs, arrive at their prize destination. They've won that prize to spend a few days in Las Vegas in an all-expenses-paid hotel and Mr Gibbs is obviously unimpressed. There is such a flavor to this place. Flavor? This is the kind of flavor I can do without, Flora. You know perfectly well how I feel about gambling. Oh, this is different, though. It is neither different nor moral. Gambling is gambling. However, this, this is your vacation, Flora. You won it. But in all good conscience, I must repeat to you what I've been saying all along. It's a, it's a miserable, terrible waste of time. But, of course, it's what you wanted. Our male lead, Franklin Gibbs, is played by Everett Sloan. Now, he'd worked with Rod Sailing previously on one of the pieces of television that really got Rod Sailing noticed, and that's a show called Patterns. Now, Patterns was an episode of a television show called Craft Television Theatre, and Rod Sailing wrote the episode, obviously, and it was a... It was a huge hit at the time. It, I think it went out in about 1955 and it really set Rod's 
Rod Serling's career moving. And I think there may have actually been a movie version of it made, but I'm not quite sure. I'm going to have to check that one out. But Everett Sloan played a character called Walter Ramsey in that, and but he actually had a you know, a long and distinguished television career. He he was in the classic Orson Welles film, Citizen Kane, but he was also in an episode of Tales of Tomorrow, which was a television series that was, a lot of, in a lot of ways, a precursor to The Twilight Zone. And we're going to be revisiting Tales from Tomorrow again in the future, but I'll talk more about that then. So Everett Sloan had worked with Sailing before, and he was returning to the fold now, so... We spend a little time drinking in the atmosphere of the place and Flora, Franklin's wife, obviously likes it and she goes on to play one of the slot machines. Now there's a scene here that probably typifies the relationship between this couple where after Flora tries to play the slot machine she gets a real dressing down from Franklin and it is kind of uncomfortable to watch I think. I think you can really see the life that they have. Flora's a good-natured, sweet woman who's probably had years of negativity with Franklin as he's gotten older and grumpier. I wouldn't say he's an abusive husband, but I would say the bitterness that he feels about the world probably gets deflected to Flora. You can just see every day being filled with all of Franklin's little grumbles and moans as the day progresses. And I do think it's actually a little sad to see because she is obviously a very sweet woman and she seems excited about this trip. It's something a little different that's going to take her out of her usual routine and her usual life. But next comes the pivotal moment in the episode, I think, and that is when Franklin passes by a drunk guy playing the slot machine. Hey, old boy. Hey, wait a minute. Please. Wait, wait. You try it, huh? No, I'm I... one hour, 30 minutes on this miserable, crummy, mimey grab it. It's an interesting scene because it kind of plays like a bit of a seduction, I suppose, when that dollar goes into the machine. Franklin's pressed up against it and the money's in the machine now. He might as well pull the handle, you know, but if he had the courage of his convictions, then he wouldn't. But he does. Slowly he reaches for the handle and he gets his reward. So I guess the first part of that seduction is complete. He wins. But the seed's been planted now, even though he vows that they'll take these winnings and never gamble again. But as they're leaving the casino, our drunk friend returns and he too has a little win. And it's here that we first hear that voice. The story of how the voice was created, I think, is probably the most interesting little piece of trivia in the episode. It's not an episode with a great deal of trivia, but this is quite an interesting one. And this is a, a direct quote from the Twilight Zone companion. And it says, it was decided that the most effective voice would be one that sounded like tinkling coins, the sound a machine makes when it pays off. The first step in the process was to tape the sound of metal coins, says Buck Houghton. We made it as metallic as we could. We put hundreds of dimes and quarters, not nickels, because they were lead and didn't make the same sound down the metal chute. So we just had yards and yards and yards of coins running down metal. Next, human subject was chosen. Two small speakers were strapped to either side of his esophagus. 
The sound of tinkling coins was played out through the speakers, to the effect that when the man opened his mouth, the sound came from his throat. This sound could then be shaped into words by using the tongue and lips, just as with sounds from the larynx, but he himself made no use of his own voice whatsoever. The tape provided all of the sound. You know, I don't automatically have a downer on modern effects and so on, CGI or um, sound effects, that kind of thing, but it's little stories like that that I think add a lot of charm to old productions. Now, as Franklin lays in his room, he keeps hearing that voice, and each time he does, he has visions of that stack of silver dollars on his cabinet growing and growing. Eventually, on a very flimsy excuse that he wants to go and get rid of the money because no good can come from having money gained that way, he decides he's going to go and play the slot machines again. And I guess with hindsight, he was actually right. No good did come of that money. But when we see him next, he really does have the fever and he's just feeding that machine. He's even cashing checks so he can get more money. And I think the speech that Franklin gives now, and he does make two kind of similar speeches in the same vein, are probably the best pieces of dialogue in the episode for my money. And, you know, poor Flora again bears the brunt of yet another one of his outbursts. He calls her a shrew and so on. But then he makes this speech. Now, I'm not a gambler myself, but I have been in that situation. I think probably most of us have, where that little flutter you have pays off. And it does have its own particular thrill about it. Getting money for nothing, it seems. And I do want to see if you can repeat that. But, you know, from then on, it is usually a sequence of almost teasing you to carry on because the next one just might be the one. Franklin. Uh, what uh, what time is it, Flora? It's eight o'clock in the morning, Franklin. I, I swear to you, Flora, this machine mocks me. It, it teases, beckons, mocks me. Put in five, get back four. Put in six, get back five. But it, it's got to pay off. Sooner or later, it's just got to, I tell you. But he doesn't get that chance to win it all back because Franklin's final dollar is eaten by the machine and it jams and he gets so angry that he knocks the machine over and he gets removed from the casino. Give me back my dollar. That's my last dollar. You miserable dead. Give me back my dollar. You know, a few years ago when the box sets came out on DVD, I remember seeing this episode and... I didn't really think much of it. This time round, up until this point, I wouldn't say I was thinking it was a great episode either, but there may be a couple of things of merit there, like those dialogue scenes that I mentioned. And the scene of Franklin putting dollar after dollar into the machine is, I find it quite uncomfortable to watch, I think. So in that sense, I guess you could call it a success, because it was supposed to be uncomfortable to watch. You do just want to go over and shake him and tell him to stop, and you do feel genuine compassion for Flora having to stand there and watch this. But then comes the scene that will probably make or break it for you depending on which side of the fence you sit with this episode. The couple are in their hotel room and Franklin begins to see the slot machine is stalking him. Now just as a quick aside, apparently at that time in California where the episode was filmed, gambling machines were illegal. 
so Buck Houghton said, the prop house couldn't even have them, so we had to get one-armed bandits from the police department where they were impounded. It was just like a machine gun, you had to have a policeman along with it. There was a policeman on the set at all times to make damn sure that somebody didn't take one off the set and set it up in his uncle's barber shop. And apparently one of these slots was again used in the episode Prime Mover, but not the one that was stalking Franklin. So anyway, yeah, there it is. The, the slot machine is stalking Franklin and Flora doesn't see it. She just sees Franklin going insane and shouting about things that aren't there, but... Whenever Franklin turns, there's this slot machine, and eventually he's so terrified that he falls through the glass window to his death. I think with this, they were going for creepy and threatening, that kind of reaction. This inanimate object stalking someone, but... Sadly for me, this it just comes across as silly. You know, I will forgive some things in vintage entertainment in terms of effects and so on. I think you have to sometimes, but... But in this instance, I don't think the age of the production is really a factor, and I'm not even sure it's something you could pull off these days, a slot machine stalking someone, just because there's just a, a silliness about it, and, you know, unfortunately, I don't find it creepy or threatening, I just think it looks a bit silly. Never more so than the scene that... I guess is supposed to be the final twist because up until now we don't know whether it's all in Franklin's head because Flora can't see it but now as he lies dead on the floor and strangely everyone seems to have left him there the slot machine rolls up and spits back that silver dollar at him. I have to admit though that act in itself I do kind of like in a strange way you know maybe if you look at the bigger picture there's a good idea there that's trying to get out it's like you know, here you go, here's your dollar. You know, I got what I needed from you. And it makes Las Vegas into perhaps a living entity that will dazzle you with its bright lights. It'll seduce you and then it'll chew you up and it'll spit you out. Now, obviously, that greed, I suppose, that's all driven by humans. But here it's actually transplanted into one of the tools that they use to do that the slot machine. So yeah, there's kind of maybe something interesting there, but I just don't think it's that cleverly done. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that it's the kind of idea that might show up on a first draft and then just get thrown away for maybe being too obvious. I think a cautionary tale on the dangers of gambling is fair game and, you know, rod sailing especially should be able to pull that off. And there are those two speeches where sailing really does nail it, but in the end, with that climax, for me it plays like some kind of reefer madness video where someone takes a drag of a joint and then throws himself out of a window or something. It just doesn't work for me. I do like the couple. I think they both did a decent job. Even repellent as Franklin was, I kind of liked the performance. And... I think Flora too, I think she played her part really well and my heart really went out to her quite a bit actually. The actress Vivi Janice, and I feel like I'm repeating myself here, but it seems that it was just quite a, a time for television when actors would just jump from show to show. There was a lot of anthologies, a lot of guest spots, that kind of thing, and she was very much in the thick of that too. And I, I like her performance in this, I think she does a, a good job. But I'm sad to say the episode as a whole is probably one of the low points of the first season for me. I think 
It's a well-intentioned cautionary tale that sadly fails in the execution. So what happened to Flora after this, after Franklin's death? Well, there was a piece written in the novelization by Rod Serling, a little extra that he added, and it went like this. Flora Gibbs flew back to Elgin, Kansas to pick up the broken crockery of her life. She lived a silent, patient life from then on and gave no one any trouble. Only once did anything unusual happen, and that was a year later. The church had a bazaar, and someone brought in an old used one-armed bandit. It had taken three of her friends from the Women Alliance to stop her screaming and get her back home to bed. Mr. Franklin Gibbs, visitor to Las Vegas, who lost his money, his reason, and finally his life to an inanimate metal machine variously described as a one-armed bandit, a slot machine, or in Mr. Franklin Gibbs's words, a monster with a will all its own. For our purposes, we'll stick with the latter definition because we're in the twilight zone. I have a couple of iTunes reviews that I'd like to give some thanks for, both on the UK iTunes. First up is Anthony Pipes, and he left a nice little review there on iTunes. So thank you, Anthony, and I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. Also, a gentleman by the name of Tristan Abbott, he left some some kind words on iTunes as well. And uh, again, thanks a lot. I always appreciate people giving iTunes reviews. It really helps get the podcast noticed, and um, and that's great. So thanks a lot, gentlemen. Now, speaking of iTunes, a couple of episodes ago, I gave thanks to a gentleman called Nasa Hassan, who left a stateside iTunes review. Now, he he emailed me with some kind words about the podcast, so thanks for that, Nasa. And he also sent a few comments on a couple of past Twilight Zone episodes. Now, this kind of got the, the cogs working, and I, I realized that, you know, although I do say, if you want to mention anything, if you want to give any feedback, then you can send it to this email address. I, I really should possibly have a, a listener feedback section that people can chime in on the on the episode we're discussing or maybe past episodes i would maybe not get too ahead of ourselves in terms of the podcast but maybe maybe the episode that we're discussing in that particular show and also anything that has that we've already went over or you know just general thoughts about the twilight zone that you want to get out there i think down the line maybe we will try the telephone line thing i know a lot of podcasts have a dedicated telephone line so people can give feedback in but although we're doing very well in terms of listeners and numbers i think maybe we'll just keep going a bit longer before we do that because it is an expense to the podcast you know and we do like to make these things reasonably priced because we have got some work going on behind the scenes at the moment that's really going to i think bring things on in terms of the website and the podcast and i'll talk more about that down the line but but anyway yeah a listener feedback section i think is on the card so i will perhaps try and get that sorted out over the next couple of episodes um and we will have a proper dedicated section for if you want to mentioned some words about any twilight zone episodes that we've discussed so with that in mind nasa sends some comments on a couple of episodes first up is time enough at last and he said the brilliance of this episode to me is that it does end on in such a dark manner 
This sets you up for every other episode that aired after it, or that we've seen after it, to have no idea whether the episode will end good, bad or ugly for the character. There may be justice, there may be not. That's the strength of it to me. What it did for the series is monumental, even more so than the strength of it as an episode, as it stands by itself as compared to the others. And it is actually one of my favourites comparatively too. You did a great job of laying out the different theories on the ending and how it's so open to interpretation. That's its brilliance as well. And then he leaves some comments about another one that I enjoyed and when the sky was opened, I was amazed when you read some critiques from the era of them not revealing what was making these guys disappear. That was the whole point to me, not showing it. Once you show who or what is doing them, you would get a sense of where they are going or why, thus taking away all the suspense. The way it is now, the suspense of that is ongoing, forever, and it doesn't end at the end of that half hour. And then he goes on with some general thoughts about the Twilight Zone. He said, I really enjoy hearing quotes from the critics of the era, good or bad. Those are hard to come by and give great context. I don't own the DVD set myself, so I'm finding out the order of the shows as you do episodes, which is really interesting to me. It's cool to see how he put a lot more of the reality-based episodes first and then eased into more and more science fiction. The genius of sailing to me was, as Zikri pointed out, how he was able to make the TV medium say things and address social issues when it didn't want to. It's great to see the interview sailing did with Mike Wallace before the series launched where he swears up and down that the show won't have any deeper message in it. Yeah, right. He was a crafty dude and got what he wanted more times than not by any means necessary. Okay, good comments there from uh, Nasser Hassan, and if you want to check out his website, you can go to www.uncommonmusic.net. Okay, so thanks again. Now our friend Luke from Bodica Films, who make the Collector's Room internet TV show, a, a Twilight Zone inspired kind of anthology show, that we have become very good friends with over time and that's very gratifying but he sent a couple of thoughts on last week's episode and the episode we're discussing tonight first up the hitchhiker he said i really enjoyed orson wells performance on the suspense radio show as well as the episode in general the tension was tight and it was an excellent pop boiler style story with lots of build up to an eventual climax it was slow, but it never felt boring, and it always kept the intrigue high. However, I'm not sure the same can be said for the Twilight Zone version. That's not to say it's a bad episode, because it isn't, but I would say that it didn't nail the tension like the suspense version did. From the opening moments, we are introduced to the hitchhiker, and he is already given an almost comedic tone as he throws his thumb out while staring blankly into the lens. Now, in 1960, this could have been effective, but for me, it just doesn't hold up. It almost ruins all intrigue the character has. We, as an audience, should never really see him to further heighten the tension of Nan's paranoia. Instead, the episode jumps straight into it rather than having a slow build-up to a realisation. Perhaps some subtlety could have improved the episode. Having said that, it is a good episode and Inga Stevens' performance is very strong. I just don't think it's as good as the suspense counterpart. Good points, Luke. And then he goes on to speak about the fever. Now, this is interesting because I think this is another good reason why 
I perhaps need this listener feedback section because like I say you know my opinion is just one man's opinion and there are many interpretations and different opinions out there and it'd be good to get them in the podcast so let's hear what he has to say about the fever he says I watched this episode recently and was tweeting my thoughts throughout I appear to be one of the few that genuinely enjoyed this episode but I think it has a lot of strong points Speaking as someone who has never had a gambling problem or addiction, I'm not sure whether I can pass judgement on Franklin for falling into the pitfalls of obsession so quickly. However, this would be my only criticism of the piece. He goes from one scene of hating and loathing to the very idea of gambling to being the only thing in his mind. The transition is far too swift and doesn't play right for an audience. Good point there, Luke. What I do like about this episode though is the use of coins dropping from the machine to sound like they're calling out to Franklin. It's a really inventive technique and it actually did a good job of scaring me on first watch and it continues to impress me on repeated viewings. Now I did say that Franklin's quick change in character was my only criticism, however I do have to say that the very final shot of the machine giving him back his money was a bit hokey and unsatisfactory. The idea of the coin rolling next to him was a nice visual, but to partner that with the machine outside of the casino in view of anyone around is a bit far-fetched, even if it is being metaphorical. Overall, however, I really like this episode. I will never hail it as one of the all-time greats, but it's a fun experience and a lot better than some efforts from the fifth dimension. Thanks for all the work you're doing. I really enjoy the podcast. Well, thank you, Luke. And uh, like I say, if you want to check out The Collector's Room, the Twilight Zone-inspired internet TV show, you can go to thecollectorsroom.co.uk. Okay, just a couple of things from me. It's It's been nice to see some people who listen to the podcast show up in the forum lately, and I will say that The Twilight Zone Season 1 has been released on Blu-ray in the UK, and The Twilight Zone Season 2 is going to be out in June. Now, until then, we are running a competition whereby you can win an original piece of rod sailing art by a good friend of the show, Dark Ink 1. Now all you have to do to be in with a chance of winning this is to sign up for the forum and post in our Ultimate Twilight Zone episode Heat 1. Now this is going to stay open until Season 2 comes out. Now basically what it is, is we are pitting episodes of the Twilight Zone against each other. Only a bit of fun, you know, at the end of the day we all love the Twilight Zone and nothing's going to change that. But it's, it's interesting when you hold up you know two classic episodes and you think which one of these do i really like the best and that's what it's all about you know so it's just a bit of fun but if you go to the forum and there's a link to that at dimensionxradio.com if you go in there and all you need to do is partake in that and you're automatically in the draw and you're in with a chance of winning that pencil and ink drawing by dark ink one so i hope to see you there now just a quick mention of the Night Gallery podcast, the other Rod Sailing inspired podcast over at DimensionXRadio.com. You know, I've spoke about the podcast in the in the past and I've always enjoyed it from day one, but as a podcaster myself who has, you know, gone through all the motions of trying to get your podcast right, I, I've went through most of those on the Gentleman's Grand House, a little bit on the Twilight Zone podcast too. But, you know, you're always trying new things, always trying to make it better. And I think 
you can see how Chris has been doing that and I think he's really hit his stride now. The quality of it is fantastic. The audio quality is, he's really got there now. And I mean, the content was always great, but you know, he's, he's going through a lot of these short stories that were in the night gallery and it's, you know, it's a shame that that show never went as sailing intended, but it is quite fascinating to hear what was going on behind the scenes too so i do think he's really nailed the podcast now and uh, if you're not listening to it already i really think you should go over there and check it out okay so that's all from me keep an eye on the website we've got some good stuff coming up soon and next week is richard matheson's return to the twilight zone with the episode the last flight so i'll see you then bye bye